This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. A surprising research finding, one that may impact climate science, was discovered when forestry experts measured the carbon released from trees during wildfires. We'll have the story. Although fires have been around for hundreds of millions of years, we have really changed the nature of those fires because we tried to put them out everywhere. Then, Americans have access to many high dopamine rewards, such as drugs, food, gaming, and more. A psychiatrist warns that too much indulgence can lead to pain. A better way to get our dopamine, which is our pleasure neurotransmitter, is to do things that are hard, which tricks our body into thinking that it needs to make more dopamine. Those two stories and more are ahead on this week's show. InfoTrack begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Recent research shows that major forest fires don't cause living trees to release much carbon. This is a finding that may be significant for climate policy. Joining us to talk about this is Mark Harmon, Professor Emeritus in the Oregon State University College of Forestry. Your research showed that after two large wildfires in California, the vast majority of carbon stored in trees before the fires was still there after the fires. Did that surprise you when you found that out? Yes and no. We did think that not very much carbon was lost, but we were surprised with how little it was. It may surprise your listeners because a lot of trees look like they burned and maybe burned up, but that's really not the case from what we found. Prior to your research, what was the general assumption regarding the amount of carbon released in a major forest fire? What did people think prior to your research? Well, there's quite a disagreement about the amount, actually. Many believe that mostly it was the dead material, the branches and dried leaves that were burned up and consumed by the fire. But others had suggested that as much as 85% of a live tree could be consumed by the fire and turned into carbon dioxide. So there was quite a disagreement. Now, it had to be very difficult to collect this data. How did you do that? First, we came up with a scheme in which we could look at this question, how much gets consumed by a fire at many different levels, starting with the smallest twigs, and going all the way up to an entire forest fire. And then we had to create some models that would allow us to reconstruct what was missing. One of the challenges is you go out there and you can see what's there now, but what was there before the fire? So we created those models. Then we went out and surveyed hundreds of trees to see how much had been consumed, what parts, where, and all that. So it's uh, several years of field work to collect all the data. After a fire, generally a crew will come in and clear the land and cut down all the blackened trees. That wood is then used for other purposes, which does release the carbon. So what would your advice be after a forest fire? Just leave everything as it is? No. The one thing I would say, any blanket recommendation is suspect. So if it's near roads or buildings or other things that it's a safety concern, then one should remove the trees or at least put them on the ground so they're not dangerous. In other cases, maybe you had planted a crop of trees and you were gonna 
get some commercial benefit from those trees. So if they are killed by fire, you might want to harvest them. But there are other cases where, yes, I would recommend to leave the trees because they're not really wasted by things like wildlife. And they decompose pretty slowly, I would think. Wood is not like a leaf. It's a little more sturdy. Yeah, it depends on the species and all that and where you are. But yeah, it takes decades to sometimes centuries for a dead tree to completely disappear. Wow, I did not realize it was that long. Do you plan any other research in this area? I'd like to look at other areas to see if our results are, can be generalized. We looked at these California fires, but there are fires all over the West that would be interesting to look at. So that would be one area. And also just to refine the method itself. And then finally, I'm looking at the fate of the dead trees, like your last question referred to. What actually happens to them? What happens if they're harvested and used for fuel or for lumber or just left on the ground? So currently I'm working on that question. So the fact that you've found out this information, do you think this is going to change the way scientists think about climate change? It may. That's a really big area. But I think in terms of fire, it probably will, because one of the things we found was the answer to the question, how much burns up in a fire, depends on at what level you look at it. And as scientists, we haven't been very precise about that. So I'm hoping that people become much more precise about describing what level they're talking about, because we got vastly different answers at the different levels we looked at. You mentioned species of trees. What species were primarily in the California fires? Were those hardwoods or what types of trees were those? We didn't look at hardwoods. There are hardwoods in that area, oaks in particular. No, we looked at the conifer trees. The species were like ponderosa pine, white fir, Douglas fir, and incense cedar. Those were the primary ones and some sugar pine. Now, a tremendous amount of effort and money and time goes into fighting these giant fires. If they're way out in the middle of nowhere, does it make more sense to maybe just let them burn since we know that the carbon is not as big a factor as we once thought? I think whether we like it or not, we often have to let them burn because they're very dangerous in certain phases. Very hot, they can be moving and unpredictable. So that actually is how fires are fought. I think targeting the areas you want to protect is very, very important. Could be buildings or parks or structures uh, or highways and people. But for most of the fires, you just have to let them burn, whether you like it or not. Just to wrap this up, do you have any last thoughts on your research and what you found and perhaps what this means as far as climate science? I think one of the things it points out that we need to be much more precise about what we're describing, what happens in a fire. And this was part of that effort. So I'm hoping that people will make a real effort to quantify how much of these trees are killed versus actually combusted by the fire. And those will have results that are important even at the global scale. Because one of the things we need to determine is, are all these fires and other disturbances feeding more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and making the climate scenario worse than it would be as if they didn't burn up. So that's one of the key things, to understand that feedback between the ecosystems which are being disturbed 
and future climate change. Well, of course, a lot of climate concerns revolve around what mankind is doing, what the humans are doing to the environment. But I would think forest fires, that's just sort of nature's way of clearing the the land. So I guess it makes sense that the system would kind of be in balance with a forest fire not causing massive climate change. Sort of Mother Nature's system is working there. Well, yes, it makes sense. But the thing is, although fires have been around for millions and millions of years, actually hundreds of millions of years, the oldest recorded fire, we have really changed the nature of those fires because we tried to put them out everywhere. And that led to some changes. And so we've got that happening, so-called fuel buildup. But we also have climate change, and that could make the fires larger, more severe, And that could kind of start putting more CO2 into the atmosphere, makes it warmer, which causes more fires to be larger. So that's this idea of this feedback. And it's something that we're not intentionally doing, but may actually counter what we're trying to rein in from our perspective. Very interesting stuff. Mark Harmon, Professor Emeritus in the Oregon State University College of Forestry. Professor, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Next, too much pleasure can lead to pain. That story, coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this. You could save big 